Take your copy of God's Word, would you, and turn with me to 1 John, the epistle of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. I want you to go with me and look with me at the first ten verses in 1 John chapter 1. I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read. I know how I love to hear those pages turn in in your Bibles. First John chapter one, verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And verse 5 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this precious Word, these verses in 1 John that we just read. Precious reminder to us, the power of the Word, the power of the Gospel, and the precious work of Your Word in our hearts and minds and lives. And so, Lord, I pray that You would help us to come before Your Word today and yield before it. Speak to us through Your Word today and open our spiritual eyes, enlighten us with your truth, that we might obey, that we might live. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. John begins with a very simple and yet a very profound statement in verse 1, 1 John 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, and you likely are, you may recognize that that statement is very similar to the introduction in John chapter 1, verse 1, which says, In the beginning was the Word. And John starts at the beginning because a proper understanding of the beginning is very critical for those who follow Christ. And so we begin at the beginning this morning in this new series of studies in 1 John. We start where John starts, Jesus Christ, the subject of 1 John. And Jesus Christ, John says, has existed 
from all eternity. Now, there was never a time when God the Son did not exist. Does that kind of boggle your mind a little bit? It does mine. We also have this foundational passage in in Colossians chapter 1, as if we needed more evidence. There is evidence, and it abounds in the New Testament, of the existence of Jesus Christ from the beginning of all time, from before the beginning of the earth and before creation. Colossians chapter 1 gives more insight into Jesus' existence from before the creation of the earth, his existence from all eternity. Listen to, to Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20, where it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, not to be confused with the first created, okay? The firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And verse 18 says, And He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Another powerful statement like in 1 John, that talks about when John says, that which was from the beginning. Colossians chapter 1, these verses in 15 through 20, very helpful in helping us understand what John is saying here. Now, do those truths about Jesus Christ kind of boggle your mind and confuse you a little bit? How is that so? I would say like the commercials, but wait, there's more. John, writing about the one who has existed from all eternity, says that he has, John has, and others have, they have heard him. They've heard him. He has seen him with his eyes, and he has touched him with his hands. The apostle John has seen and touched and listened to God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the word of life. The eternal Son of God was made manifest, says verse 2. And to make manifest means to make known what already exists. So the word of life was made known to John and to the apostles, and now this manifestation, this making known, this incarnation, has become the foundation of their ministry. It's also the foundation of our ministry. John writes in verse 3, look at it again, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John speaks of having what? Fellowship, right? Fellowship with the Father and fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. This word fellowship in the Greek is the word, do you know? Koinonia, you do know. Koinonia, right? It's in the bulletin this morning, the word koinonia for our fellowship time tonight. And we call those koinonia. Now, um, we fudge a little bit because our fellowship time where we just eat, and you know that, that is good fellowship, but that's not true fellowship. This is, this is true koinonia. Listen, 
at the risk of oversimplifying, to have fellowship with God, to have koinonia with God means to share in the same values as God, the same, the same things that God considers as important and critical. And koinonia with God means to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. And we have koinonia with one another because of Jesus Christ. We have true fellowship with one another as believers, as a body of Christ, because of the one who was from the beginning, Jesus Christ. And though John describes his desire to have fellowship, to have koinonia with his readers, he reminds us and he reminds them that this fellowship begins with having fellowship with the Heavenly Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now the basis of Christian fellowship then is, you know what the basis of Christian fellowship is? The basis of our fellowship as believers is union with Jesus Christ. It is union with Jesus Christ. That's where our, and we talked about love last week because 1 John talks about love at great lengths. That's where our love gets its beginning, in our union with Jesus Christ. Now I challenged you last week that those who are true believers in Jesus Christ love Okay, I say it that way because they do love. They do love. It's an action. It's not a feeling anywhere near as much as it is something that they do, something they practice toward other believers. It is seen much more clearly not in a feeling that we have for one another, in that it is a, it is an action that we perform toward others in the way that we, in the way that we treat one another as followers of Jesus Christ, in the way that we interact with one another as believers in Jesus Christ, as his children, and especially this, which we find so easy to not do right, in the way that we talk about other believers. You see, to have a a real and enduring love toward others, one must have their love roots firmly grounded in the love of Christ. If you want to love one another as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, right? You need to have your love roots sunken into the one who gave himself up for the church, who gave himself up for us. And we must have fellowship with the Son. We must have fellowship with the Father. We must have fellowship with them in order for us to know what true fellowship is with one another, in order for us to know what true love is for one another. So why is this why is this important? Why is it important to have fellowship with the Father? Why is it important for us to have fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ? And why is it important to have Christ-centered fellowship with one another? John gives answers to those questions in 1 John, but his first answer is given in verse 4. Look at verse 4 again. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now there are there are many very good and wonderful and worthwhile reasons for trusting in Christ as Lord and Savior and having fellowship with God and with the Son Jesus Christ but I want you to note that John directs our attention to our what our joy right is that interesting that he points to joy is the world searching for happiness and joy yes and I think you are too, right? We all want to be 
happy. We say, I just want to be happy. We may not go around saying that, but, but deep down we want to be happy. We want to have some sense of contentment and joy and happiness. We're no different from the world that way. The world has given their lives for the pursuit of happiness. The world is searching for happiness and joy, and I, and I have reason to believe that most of us are too, that we're searching for joy and happiness and contentment. And so what does John say about joy knowing what he does about human nature, verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John knows that all people have this insatiable longing to be happy. And though it's true that we are sometimes motivated by a desire to want to please others, often that desire to want to please others is rooted in our desire for happiness. And sometimes we're motivated by fear, (laughs) Fear of repercussions if we don't do something or if we do do something. Fear of punishment if we do or don't do something. But often that has goes back to the roots of our joy, doesn't it? And John knows that the strongest human passion is our passion for finding joy, contentment, happiness, satisfaction. And God, through John's writing, doesn't simply promise joy when gaining fellowship with Christ, but He promises joy that is not just some kind of joy, not just any kind of joy, joy that is complete. The Greek word here means to have a perfect supply. A perfect supply of joy. Now, there are many things on this earth that can bring me joy. As I was preparing my notes today, it was a sunny day, and so I thought, you know, joy brings joy comes to me when it's a sunny day, like it is today. I can be joyful and I find joy in the sunshine. Um, a good strong cup of coffee in the morning, and I emphasize the good part. You can have strong and not good. You want good and strong, okay? I enjoy that, and that brings me joy. Um, time alone with my wife uh, brings me great joy. Time with my children and with my extended family can bring me Great joy. Time well spent with other believers that encourage me can bring me joy. And I'm sure if I asked you to tell me what brings you joy, you, you would take the rest of our time this morning probably telling, telling one another what could bring you joy. But none of these things, I want to tell you this morning, I want to kind of break, uh, break the bad news to you and, and, uh, burst your bubble a little bit, so to speak. None of these things, none of the things that bring you joy, none of the things that bring me joy, None of these bring us a perfect supply of joy. You realize that, don't you? Right? Because you can pursue pursue any of these things and they will not give you a perfect supply of joy. There is only one source for a perfect supply of joy in my life. There is only one source for a perfect supply of joy in your life. And that is fellowship with Christ. Fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the Father. And if fellowship with Christ is is the road to complete joy, then it follows that this should be our highest pursuit. We had better find that road and get on it and stay on it, right? And so how do we obtain and maintain fellowship with Christ? How do we find that road and stay on it? John begins to answer that question in verse 5. Look at it again. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him 
is no darkness at all. Now note this, before we can have fellowship with God, we must recognize who He is. Before you can have fellowship with God and with His Son, Jesus Christ, you must recognize who God is. We must recognize that God is what? God is light, right? Which means that God is holy. God is perfect. In Him there is absolutely no darkness. There is no sin, no corruption, no imperfection. How how is this that we who are full of sin can fellowship with Him who has no sin, who is light? Now, instead of telling us up front how fellowship with God is gained, John begins by describing the evidence of whether we have fellowship with God. John says, and look at verses 6 and 7, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Now I challenged you with this last week. Fellowship with God changes us. Your relationship with Jesus Christ had better change you for the better. It is true that Christ meets you where you are. And Christ accepts you as you are. But don't ever think that Christ is going to be satisfied with where you are. He wants you to be more Christ-like. And He wants you to change. And He wants you to be filled with this Holy Spirit so that the, the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit informed by the Word helps you change and become more Christ-like. And fellowship with God implies that we no longer are walking in darkness. And fellowship with God implies that we are now what? We are now walking in the light. And we are now walking according to the will of Christ. But I caution you because that doesn't mean that as Christians we will no longer sin. That's why John writes in verse 8. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, walking in the light does not mean that we are free from sin. Walking in the light means that our fundamental direction has changed. That we we have turned from sin. That we have turned from a life of darkness. And we are turning to the life of light. And we are turning from sin. But if our fundamental direction in life does not change... If our fundamental direction in life has not changed, there is a very real reason to doubt that we have fellowship with God. And First John goes into great depths to remind us and to, to, to basically get our attention, to examine our hearts as to whether we are in the faith. First John also goes to great lengths to assure you that you are in the faith, showing us what is true of us if we are in the faith. But it also shows us what's true of us if we're not in the faith. And so if a change of direction is evidence that we have fellowship with God, how do we change our direction? How do we change our direction? John's answer is that in verse 9 he says, his answer is this, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And I kind of misled you a little bit with my first statement, how do we change direction? We don't. (laughs) The truth is, we don't change direction. The truth is, we don't change direction. God does. We can't change our direction. God can change our direction. And since God changes our direction, those who have fellowship with Him will indeed walk in the light. And our role, our role in this, you see what our role is? In verse 9, if we confess, that's our role. Okay? That's how we change direction, if you want to put it that way. We don't. God changes our direction. Our role in this is confession. Our role is to confess our sins, and Christ does the work of forgiving us our sins, and He does the work of cleansing us from our sins. He does the work of purging us from all unrighteousness. So back to this question, how do we have fellowship with God? How do we have fellowship with a holy and a perfect and sinless God when when we are we are far from holy, aren't we? We are far from perfect. We are far from sinless. The answer is that we must be cleansed in order to have fellowship with God. We must be cleansed. And we gain fellowship with God only through the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us of sin and all unrighteousness. We must be cleansed. And the only way to be cleansed is by Jesus Christ and His shed shed blood on our behalf. And the only way we can maintain fellowship with God is by Christ cleansing us from all unrighteousness. We do the confessing. We do the repenting. Christ does the cleansing, and our fellowship is maintained. You see, to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus is to be justified before God the Father. It is because of the death of Christ that we are declared righteous before God. We are not holy. We are made holy, declared holy. We are not righteous. We are declared righteous before God. And the humbling truth of Scripture is that the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is our sinfulness. That ought to humble you. When you stop and think, the only thing I bring to the table is my wretched sinfulness. How humbling to realize that God accepts us as we are. He sent His Son to die on our behalf so that we could come in our wretched sinfulness and be washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And we aren't justified by being a good person. Okay? Because no one is good. Compared to God, in comparison to a holy and righteous and just and upright God, there is no one that is good. We aren't saved by being active in church as if busyness in church were going to save us or account for something in our lives. That can't take care of our sin problem. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from sin, like the hymn says. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But I want you to note that when we look at the context of 1 John chapter 1, we can't limit, we cannot limit the meaning of Christ cleansing us to simply being justified before God 
the context talks about walking. Walking in either the darkness or the light. The context puts it in in the setting of something that's continual. It's a reference to how we habitually live. And when John says in verse 7, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin, the verb is in the present tense showing us that this cleansing is a continual, continuous process. Christ's blood then not only justifies us once and for all, but it does so continually. It does that work continually again and again and again and again, cleansing us of our sin, cleansing us from sin as long as we truly are open to the light that we are walking in, and that is if we confess our sins as often as necessary. You know, as a believer of many years, if you've been a believer For many years, you know that you still need to confess sin, don't you? And Christ is faithful to cleanse our sins as often as we need to confess them. And for many of us, that means daily, doesn't it? It does for me. It means daily. I'm encouraged by others in the faith who've gone before us. Spurgeon was one. And you know I like Spurgeon a lot. He says, Spurgeon, speaking of our daily need for confession of sin, puts it this way, Nature teaches that it is the duty of erring children to make a confession to their earthly father. And the grace of God in the heart teaches us that we, as Christians, owe the same duty to our heavenly father. We daily offend and ought not to rest without daily pardon. Suppose that my trespass against my father are not at once taken to him to be washed away by the cleansing power of the Lord Jesus, what will be the consequence? If I have not sought forgiveness and been washed from these offenses against my father, I shall feel at a distance from him. I shall doubt his love to me. I shall tremble before him. I shall be afraid to pray to him. I shall grow like the prodigal who, although still a child, was yet far away from his father." Oh, how we need confession. Oh, how we often need it daily, and often I need it several times during the day. Oh, that we would not allow sin to remain in our lives that would separate us from fellowship with the Lord and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We confess our sins daily then in order to be cleansed daily. And we want to be cleansed daily in order to have fellowship daily. And we want to have fellowship daily in order that our joy may be complete daily. You see the order? Do you see it? Our goal is to be joyful. Humanly speaking, we pursue joy and happiness. And John tells us that complete joy comes only from fellowship with God. Fellowship. With God. John also tells us that fellowship with God is only possible when we are cleansed by Christ's blood. And in order to be cleansed by Christ's blood, we must confess our sins. In a moment, we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper in a few moments. We're going to take the bread, a symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ's broken body for us on our behalf, because of our sins. We do it as a matter of remembrance so that we will remember what Christ 
endured on our behalf. We're also going to take the cup, which is a symbol of His shed blood for us, the blood He shed so dearly on the cross. We are to never forget that Christ's blood is to do more than simply set us free from the bondage and punishment of sin. It is also intended to change us. The blood of Christ is intended to do a changing work in us. Christ's blood intends to do more than just pardon you. It intends to make your joy complete. But I want you to note this. Though apparently we know what it is like to be justified by the cleansing blood of Christ, it saddens me, and it ought to sadden you, that very few Christians experience the perfect supply of joy in their daily Christian living. And maybe you can identify with that statement. Unfortunately, very few Christians actually believe the Apostle John when he writes that complete joy comes only from fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The unfortunate reality is that there are multitudes of Christians who do not experience joy on a daily basis. And if that's true of you, and if that's true of me, it is a sign that we are not in fellowship with God. And the Scriptures command us to be joyful, don't they? I like Philippians 4.4 where Paul says these things we write, or actually in, in Philippians 4.4 he says rejoice in the Lord always, right? Rejoice in the Lord always, says Paul. And he says it again. I say again, rejoice and I, and I always come to that passage and I have to remind myself that the emphasis on rejoicing in the Lord, right? Because when you look around at your situation in life, there are often many reasons for not rejoicing. There are often reasons for us to be discouraged. But our hope is in the Lord, isn't it? And we serve a risen Savior, don't we? And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And so I must remind myself, I have a reason to rejoice daily. And I have reason for daily fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as John says, these things we write, that our joy may be complete. How is this possible? How can we be joyful when times are difficult? We are joyful because our joy is not based on external circumstances. You see, if your joy is based on external circumstances, the likelihood is, is that you're going to struggle with joy from time to time. Because there will be some external circumstances that cause you to have joy. But, and you know, there will be external circumstances that come along to cause to steal your joy. Cause you to not have joy. And the basis of our joy is the knowledge that we have been cleansed by Christ's blood. That's the basis of our joy. The basis of our joy is our fellowship with God that the cleansing of Jesus' blood makes possible. And God wants you to be joyful. He wants you to rejoice in Him. He wants you to enjoy the things that He blesses you with. And this perfect supply of joy that John speaks of comes from being cleansed by Christ and being cleansed by Him daily. It comes from continuous fellowship with God. And John knows enough to point us in the right direction when he says that he wants our joy to be complete. He wants it to be complete through our fellowship with Christ. It comes from spending time 
reading God's Word, our joy does. It comes from spending time with our God in prayer. Our joy comes from singing praises to Him that remind us of the wonderful truths of Scripture that give us hope and strength and encouragement. That remind us of the precious redemption through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Our joy comes from our fellowship with God and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's remember the shed blood of Christ as we worship at the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table in just a few moments. Let's remember His broken body for us. Let's remember His shed blood for us. Let's remember that His shed blood for us makes our daily fellowship with Him and our complete joy completely possible. His shed blood for us. Vance Havner writes, I've found a friend. Oh, such a friend. He loved me ere or before I knew him. He drew me with the Lord, with the cords of love, and thus he bound me to him. Precious Savior, we gather in your midst this morning, reminded of your precious love, your precious cords of love, as Havner writes, that draw us to yourself and bind us to you. How precious those cords of love are through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that as we fellowship at the Lord's table in a few moments, you would help us to never forget the broken body and the shed blood of Christ on our behalf so that we might have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to know true fellowship and true joy, that our joy would truly be complete in Jesus Christ and our fellowship with one another would be informed and rooted in the love of Christ and our fellowship with Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.